great to have everyone here, and you are in for a really spectacular night because we have some important issues to talk about, and we have all seven mayoral candidates here. Uh, we have taken off our masks because we are told we are performers here tonight. I'm not going to sing for you, but we are officially performers, so we don't have to wear masks. Uh, people can continue to wear masks up here if that is their choice. Uh, James, with any particular event, we always have ground rules. So I'm going to go over the ground rules, all right? And I'll begin with, we have several people in the audience tonight who have been selected to ask questions about issues important to them and our city. They participated in the Citizens Agenda Project sponsored by Listen MKE, which is a collaboration with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's Ideas Lab, WUWM 89.7 FM, Milwaukee's NPR, and Milwaukee PBS. Not every candidate will be asked to respond to every question from our voters, but every candidate will get a chance to answer one or two of the questions from our selected voters. Reporter James Causey and I We'll also have specific questions for each of the candidates. The moderators may also have select written questions. By the way, we're going to hopefully get cards out to folks where you can write down some written questions and we'll take a look at those. The cards will be available, we thought, prior to the event. There they are. There's David right there. So he's going to be working his way through the crowd. If you have a question, write it down and he'll bring it up here. Now. We've set aside about two hours here to take a deep dive into the challenges facing the next mayor. So, rule number two, this is a forum. It's not a debate. Each candidate will have 90 seconds to answer a question. The timekeeper will flash a signal when there is 60 seconds, 30 seconds, 15 seconds left to finish the question. Did all of the candidates see that person holding that up? It right. looked That's, like 50, yeah, Which is, by the way, James? It looked like 1,530 seconds, though. <laughs> Did not get that. Uh, so, and then, third question, or the third rule, be respectful. Moderators will not allow candidates to interrupt another candidate. We also ask the audience to be respectful of the candidates. Anyone who tries to disrupt the forum will be asked to stop if they continue will be asked to leave. And finally, no opening or closing candidate speeches. The primary is Tuesday, February 15th. You, the voter, will have the final say on election day. James? This is uh, fantastic. We, we have a great crowd tonight, and I want to give you guys a hand for coming out. I, we really appreciate that. So thank you for coming out. So, without further ado, I will introduce the candidates. Um, Alderwoman Marina Dimitrievich. <laughs> Milwaukee Alderman Bob Donovan. <laughs> Community activist Aisha Griffin. <laughs> Acting Mayor Cavalier Johnson. Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas. <laughs> Business owner Michael Sampson. 
and State Senator Lena Taylor. Again, the, um, one of the most important people in the room tonight will be the timekeeper. So um, you all can see her out front. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> uh, keep this in mind. There will not be hard cutoffs. If, you, if you're in the middle of a thought, we will let you finish your thought. And without, I would like to bring the uh, first person up to the mic. Uh, the first person I would like to invite up is Nancy Pesky. And Nancy, can you come up to the mic? It's hard for me to see. So. Yep, she's, it looks like she's making her way up. So okay. She's got to work her way through the maze there. Okay. She was the so Nancy is going to have a question for the panel, but before Nancy uh, gives her question, I want Nancy to tell us a little bit about herself. Nancy, who are you? Oh. Um, I'm Nancy Pesky. I'm a writer and a remote worker, and I live in River West. And my question is about reckless driving. Reckless driving is completely out of control in Milwaukee. And some of the drivers are guys in their 20s who clearly don't care about the consequences because they've been caught several times. And some of the drivers are 12 and 13 year old kids who have adolescent brains that are wired for risk taking and uh, have no impulse control. So given these realities, what is your plan for reducing reckless driving in Milwaukee? Thank you. And we'll go, we'll just go randomly here, but I guess I'll start with Alderwoman Dimitri. Okay. That was not random, but that's okay. Um, good evening, and Nancy, thank you so much for being here. And I agree with you, the reckless driving, especially this year, has been absolutely out of control. Every Milwaukeean deserves to feel safe in every part of the city, in your homes, on the streets, and certainly in your cars. One of the things that I'm calling for is universal free driver's ed in all Milwaukee public schools. <clears throat> that is a way to create a foundation for our children. You're right, it's unfortunate that many of these incidents have been children. As a mother, I think about a child that would get in a car, perhaps a stolen car, and crash into anyone or anything. That's a failure of the city and society. And we need to look in the mirror and make sure we're providing support and resources. And lastly, there are things we can do immediately because this has to stop now. I, my plan for the education will take some time. But there are infrastructure improvements we can make from speed bumps to roundabouts to road diets that's, that make the roads skinnier. I'm willing to do what it takes to stop and slow people down because again, Every Milwaukeean deserves to be safe in every part of the city. You shouldn't have to feel that way, as you mentioned, in River West or anywhere. And we can make a difference. We have the city resources to do it. We're going to be seeing federal funds to come in and change our streets and change the infrastructure. But again, that universal free public driver's education can make a difference. Michael Sampson, do you see a solution to this problem? Yeah, I mean, she's spot on with the MPS driver's ed. It's something that never should have been taken away 20 years ago and needs to be brought back immediately. We have a lot of funds being uh, sent to MPS right now from the federal government that we may never see again. So we got to use those funds. We got to get a driver's ed back in place immediately. Uh, so this isn't a problem 20 years from now. Red light cameras. Our, our city is looking for ways to make money. Red light cameras are the answer. They will slow people down. They'll send tickets in the mail, and you'll stop speeding around the city. So that's, that's something that happens in Phoenix right now. It happens in D.C. 
you know, we know the areas where this is happening in the city. So let's get focus on those roads, uh, your Silver Springs, your Hamptons, your North Ave, your Capitol Drive, and get those cameras in place immediately. And then along with those same roads, county trunk highways, I'd love to see some more, you know, sheriff support up there. You know, they're leading to the highways, more sheriff patrols on Hampton, on Silver Spring, you know, as I'm sitting next to the sheriff right here. But uh, just, you know, we, we need more help up there. So that's the, the area of the city that we need to focus on right now, and hopefully the reckless driving will end. Would you like to respond? Uh, thank you for the question. You're on. Yes. You're on. Thank you for the question, uh, Nancy. And let me say that um, as one who has seen this uh, problem really grow uh, here in the city of Milwaukee, we've got to have a sense of urgency uh, to addressing the problem. One of the things that uh, uh, Michael just mentioned uh, is that the sheriff can certainly be engaged on our uh, county highways and our trunks. But Milwaukee County is the only county in the state of Wisconsin in which the state patrol has no primary enforcement authority. So uh, we've got to do all we can to get the state patrol here to help us uh, mitigate the problem of reckless driving. Let me say that there's three things that a uh, community can do. We can educate, which we've talked about here, uh, both in our schools as well as some of our adults, uh, to change their behaviors. We can engineer and redesign our streets. Uh, to have bump outs, uh, calming effects, and then we can enforce, which is something that all of law enforcement does. But I've always, always called on that there's a, a fourth element that we can do, and that's technology. We can ask the automakers uh, to uh, do more about the design of their cars to prevent this problem with reckless driving. This is our 1960s seatbelt problem, and unless and until we get all of the entities in the city working together to bring pressure to bear on the automakers, we won't see no immediate remedy um, in Washington um, in helping us deal with this issue. So um, we've got a, a, a number of things that we can do, we must do, um, because if we don't put an end to reckless driving, reckless driving will put an end to us. Thank so you. this has been a hot topic that we've heard throughout the city, and we see it almost daily uh, in the news. So Acting Mayor Johnson, uh, one of the things I think Nancy brought up was that how young some of these drivers are, and we hear that some have 10 or 11 violations. So is it an education issue? Is it an enforcement issue? Is this a police issue? Uh, Charles, uh, thank you for that. And Nancy, uh, thank you for your question. It's an important one. And the answer is that it's all the above, uh, quite frankly. Uh, what was said before is correct. There, there should be universal driver's education in Milwaukee public schools. I'm probably the youngest person on the stage right now, but I can remember uh, when I was in high school, driver's education was there. Uh, it cost 300 bucks in order to do it, and I was fortunate enough to work to pay for it, but I've got peers at the time that did not work, but that doesn't mean they did not drive. And all this time later, they've been teaching the next generation to drive with these self-taught uh, sort of uh, lessons. So we certainly need to make sure that that's there, and as a member of the Common Council previously, we supported $50,000 a year over a number of years to support uh, universal driver's education back in Milwaukee Public Schools. Uh, I'm the candidate in this race that's released a comprehensive plan to address the issue of reckless driving. It's called Stand for Safer Streets, and it does all these things we're talking about. Safer street design, uh, utilizing police for traffic enforcement, holding accountability for folks that break traffic law, and bringing in our neighbors to be a part of the solution, and demanding progress from our partners at other <coughs> levels of government uh, so that we see those interventions uh, in our neighborhoods as well. So uh, there are a number of things that we can do to address reckless driving. We're already working. Uh, on those, we'll continue to do it because this is a, an issue that's of concern all throughout the entire city of Milwaukee.
Well, um, I, I have a question. So I drive these streets every day, and I remember um, when I was in school, you know, driver's ed was a privilege. Um, it was something that you had to work for. And when you have 12, 13, 14-year-olds running people off the road like they did this one woman who went on a Facebook rant from the city the other day where they, she felt like they were trying to kill her. I think, you know, driver's ed is fine, but that's a long-term plan. What could be done to make and protect all of us as we drive home tonight from being the next victim, from being run off the road? I think that's what the people want to do. Senator Taylor, why don't you take that? Thank you so Go ahead. Thank you so much. The first thing I want to say is that I do agree, Nancy, that driver's education was at the root. And I hear what you're saying, James, about what can happen right away. I want to be clear, we didn't get here right away. And so I wish I could tell you that there's a switch that I'm going to be able to flip and we're going to be able to undo the neglect that happened for so long. But what I will tell you is that I believe we can turn negative energy some of it into positive energy. Those young people need to be provided some other opportunities. What are we doing to connect with our businesses that are in the auto industry uh, so that they can, if you're interested in cars, I want you to know about NASCAR and Milwaukee Mile, that's where you drive fast, not on our streets. I want you to know about dealerships and being an auto mechanic. And Mr. Adams has been a business owner in this community forever. He does auto body work. I want him to know about that. I want him to connect him with the classic car uh, clubs and the motorcycle clubs because I want to turn that energy and that desire that young people have to do something different. I hear um, the issues about companies doing something. Kill switches so that when they go to steal the car, Ms. Nancy, they can't drive it if it's a kill switch. It's my understanding that Kia and uh, Hyundai, that they also are asking people not to put their cars inside because they catch on fire. So they not only can steal them easy, they can catch on fire. I'm going to Kia and Hyundai. Pay up, because it's costing us a lot of money. Yeah. That's one of the main things I think we can do right away and ask other businesses to be able to help us to be able to do that so that individuals who have those cars can hopefully prevent okay. them being stolen. So you have a follow-up? No, I was going to... Uh, sure. I, Bob Donovan, you spent 20 years inside City Hall. Um, did you see a solution to this problem? What's missing in the ability to stop? Well, I think uh, Nancy hit it right on the head. There apparently seems to be no consequences for people's criminal behavior. And that needs to change. I think the average citizen in Milwaukee has an expectation that criminals are going to be held accountable for their crimes. Uh, I will further say that there needs to be stepped up enforcement and that is simply not possible to the level needed at this point because of the manpower shortages within MPD. Uh, so uh, steps need to be made to restore that department to the appropriate level of manpower to do their job effectively and proactively. Uh, sadly, I believe an atmosphere of lawlessness has taken over large portions of Milwaukee. Uh, we uh, need to work closely with our district attorney and our judges. I'll also say this in addressing James's issue regarding our young people. We have far too many young people folks growing up in some terrible, horrendous environments 
we need to take steps. Uh, Alderman Murphy has recently come out with the uh, Juvenile Reception Center. I applaud that. I think that's one step. But so many efforts need to be taken with our young people. Thank you. Aisha Griffin. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that we really want to stop reckless driving, then we just can't target the children because that's not the number one reason for reckless driving. The number one reason for reckless driving is drunk drivers. Uh, drunk driving is the number one reason. I will get into reckless driving as it relates to the children, but we have to look at the reality of the matter is reckless driving is not just about the youth. Reckless driving is about drunk driving, speeding, and, and, and as far as the children, we're talking about the stolen cars and different things of that nature. Uh, I saw every last one of my opponents at the beer uh, event drinking. <laughs> Open containers. And it's a law. I mean, we have the acting mayor. The law says in Milwaukee, your ordinance state that you cannot drink open containers in public because it contributes to reckless driving. So, how many people up here contribute to reckless driving if we really want to enforce the law? One of the things I have in my Aisha for the People plan is as it relates to drunk reckless driving. Because I was a victim of a drunk reckless driver. When I was a child, I was almost killed by a reckless driver. I went 12 feet in the air, landed on my back, rolled over on a car, crushed femur, crushed tibula, my spine had injuries of different things in nature. They pronounced me dead at the scene. So I take reckless driving very, very serious. As it relates to the children, we can have apps to stop the car. Uh, stop them from driving. The reckless driving and the speeding, we can put brake locks in there. I would like to do something no, not one of my opponents would want to do as far as the children. I would talk to the Kia boys, personally, because I'm trying to save the youth to prevent different things of that nature. And I have a solution where if we talk to them and we talk about what's going on, because some children would be praised and punished, but they would be punished and ignored. We could donate Kia cars to them and then get them into rehabilitation and to pay off a restitution. Try to leave it at that. If, okay. you want to, if you can finish up your thought, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, Nancy, we appreciate your question, uh, and we're going to probably this will come up even in other conversations when we uh, start talking about some of the other questions as well. James, why don't we bring up our next uh, next person who's going to ask? A question. Yes, the next person I would like to come up is Kwaku Cargill Jr. Um, can you please come up to the mic? And while um, Kwaku is coming up here, I just want people to know that so far in this city this year, over 1,100 cars have been stolen. Mm -hmm. So just, uh, what, this is February what? Ninth. Ninth? Yeah. So that's an average of like 29 cars a day. That's just being reported. So just keep that in mind. <coughs> Kwaku, please tell us something about yourself. I'm a husband, community member, and executive director of a local youth serving organization. And my question to you all is, as you think about the ESSER and ARPA funds, during your future leadership, they will be depleted. As a future mayor, what are you going to do to make sure the supports that our children have received from K-5 through career will continue in a sustainable way? Donovan on this one. Uh, could you clear, uh, is, I just, I guess I didn't understand necessarily the question there. You're talking about a school? Um, Certain funding? Funding for? Yes, when you think about the current funding structure, the additional dollars we've received from Esser and Arbor, thinking about your time as mayor, those funds will be depleted. 
What are you going to do to make sure the resource that they provided will be sustainable and continue? Well, it, it all depends on what those funds will be used for, uh, but yes, they'll be depleted. Now, if we're talking about uh, funding uh, MPS or our schools, um, certainly they're their own taxing structure, uh, they're their own governmental entity, uh, and I'm certain they'll, and uh, certainly uh, state funding uh, will continue to come to uh, our schools, so um, I don't, I guess that's all I can say at this point. Sheriff Lucas. Thank you for the question, Kwaku. Uh, Let me say that we have to prioritize uh, things here in the city of Milwaukee, because as you indicated, we're facing uh, fiscal challenges. Uh, when we look at how the uh, ARPA dollars have been applied, um, I'd like to look at them in three areas. One. Uh, being um, health and public safety, uh, which is so important uh, here in Milwaukee. Second one being quality of life, all of the quality of life issues that impact us uh, greatly and, and make us a great city. Uh, but over the years, uh, we've seen that uh, quality of life decline. And then growth and development. We need to see more uh, growth and development here in our city. The things we've got to do is obviously we've got to grow more revenue. We've got to get uh, more businesses here in the city of Milwaukee. We've got to find uh, new revenue streams. We've got to get people in this city, uh, entrepreneurs, becoming investors in this city, be developing uh, and forming companies and, and becoming employers here in our city. I think over the last two years with uh, COVID, there's a lot of uh, investors uh, where there is uh, private uh, capital that can be invested. We've got to find flexible capital that we can infuse into uh, the city budget to help us uh, get through the fiscal challenges that we face ahead. Um, but without a doubt, uh, the ARPA dollars are going to come up short, and we've got to find solutions. As the only uh, candidate up here who has managed uh, people and managed budgets, um, it's going to be uh, something that I've had the experience and privilege uh, of doing in the past, and I'll apply my experiences here uh, if given the honor of becoming Milwaukee's next mayor. So, Quaker, if I could follow up with you, you're talking ESSER funds, which are these funds that are the elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund monies that come Correct. from, from uh, the Department of Education. Um, is your concern that the city uh, has a way to either get more funds or relies on the mayor to do this? Because, or is it a primarily a school function? And are you looking for what the candidates can do to address school funding? So I think it's twofold. So ESSER is obviously education and ARPA is more community scope. So when we think about the, the variety of ways that these dollars are being used, we know that some of them, a lot of the dollars are being used in positive ways that we hope will continue post uh, their depletion. So I guess my question to you all is, knowing that they're going to be depleted, knowing the great work that they have had a role in accomplishing, what are you going to do to make sure that that work continues? Alderwoman Dimitriev. I totally understand what you're asking. I'm a parent of a five and three year old and I have older stepchildren that are in Milwaukee public schools. The ESSER money that Kwaku was talking about is being used by Milwaukee public schools to rehab their buildings. It's not okay that the city of Milwaukee schools shut down when it was too hot and didn't have proper air conditioning. We, I see things different. The federal ARPA money and ESSER money that we see, while it is one-time funding, it's a once in a generational opportunity to change the trajectory of the city of Milwaukee. We need a mayor who has a vision and plan 
to make that change and challenge the status quo. I don't want to just plug holes. I don't want to just change the city. I want to change lives of the city, of the people in the city of Milwaukee. I'm calling for universal pre-kindergarten. That's what I'm talking about as a parent of MPS. What if we give our children the best head start ever before they even enter school and give parents a break so they can have some childcare? Didn't we learn anything in this pandemic? We need a mayor that has a vision for those funds. They might be one time, but when you combine them with Build Back Better and the infrastructure bill, that's the most money that every Milwaukeean in this audience is ever gonna see go into our city. And do you want status quo or do you want someone who's ready to do a bold plan? I, I introduced legislation for $7 million to go to childcare with our rescue plan money because I know we have a childcare desert in the city of Milwaukee. We need to help people in the city of Milwaukee not just survive, but thrive, and we should use the funds to do this. If I could just follow up on that, because one of the things people are going to want to know is, yes, there is a lot of money right now, COVID relief money, that has been going into the cities. So if you fund that one time, if you fund that uh, with money that is here now, how do you sustain that funding during the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year? I look at it as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have hundreds of millions of dollars to do some good things. We got a lot to take care of, but we can do some new things too. Our city deserves the best ever, and I got a plan to do it. But, but you know what we hear though, and what we see in this city a lot is, you know, and I've been here all my life, so I, I've, I've seen this a lot. You know, we, we have money for something and we fund it for the first, second, and third year. You know, a lot of programs specifically directed towards children of color, and then after that fourth year, it's no funding there, and the program disappears. So we're good at starting programs. We're just not good at keeping programs going. So I think the question is, how can you guarantee that, these, that, these, that the funding continues, and how can you guarantee that you can keep this going? Not just a one-time thing, because that doesn't do anything. It, it really disappoints people, because right. as a citizen, you, you, you get to the point where I've seen this before. So how do you stop that? I think that's what the question is. Acting Mayor Johnson. Uh, yeah, and that's a great question, it really is. Uh, and I think this is an opportunity where you gotta be square with the people of the city, right? Milwaukee Public Schools received nearly $800 million in ESSER funding, and the city of Milwaukee received nearly $400 million, or at least half of it now. The other half will come later this year. Uh, that's one-time money. It's not as if, you know, after these funds run out, it's not, or it's not likely, rather, that you're going to see another $800 million come into the public school system here, or another $400 million come to the city of Milwaukee. So this presents an opportunity for us to be able to set a new standard, to make investments, to help improve the lot for kids and the buildings that they're educated in, uh, in our school district, and in our city in terms of, in terms of ARPA. Um, but in terms of sustaining the program, like I was a supporter of the referendum that got Milwaukee Public Schools an additional $87 million. That's important to me, not just as a, an MPS graduate myself, but as a, a father of an 11-year-old son who's a middle schooler in MPS, and twin daughters who this fall, I just registered them, uh, will be going to Milwaukee Public Schools uh, later, later this year. But you gotta square with people, right? Uh, in that we can make investments now, we can make good investments now with that money, but it's not as if $800 million is likely to come again. So we have to be smart about the investments that we make. Aisha Griffin. Uh, I first want to respond to uh, what Sheriff Ernell Lucas stated. He's the only candidate up here that can manage it, but it's a lot of mismanagement going on at the county jail. So I don't understand how you can manage that and you're, not, you're mismanaging something else. 
and as it relates to uh, one-time funding, you have to have accountability. You know, and I will make sure that every department has accountability with the funds they have. I also will not misallocate funds of the American Rescue Plan like the acting mayor has just done. Uh, misallocated funds and put it somewhere else. I would uh, I have an Aisha for the People Plan, and one of my plans is called Juvenile Justice Jams, making sure that the children not only get an education, but the proper education. MPS specifically uh, has been overfunded, you know, um, and they're, they've been failing the children. Uh, the, the, the city has the charter schools. We can take the charter schools and use it as an example because the mayor can elect people to the board. I also advocate a mayoral takeover if I was specifically uh, elected as mayor because I can work with people, diversity. Uh, I love children. And um, contrary to the belief, proper belief, what uh, Sheriff Arnold Lucas stated, I have been a manager before. I was a case manager for juveniles working directly under Janetta Robinson. And uh, I work with juveniles who people in the society uh, in Milwaukee didn't even want to touch. They couldn't even go to certain other group homes. And they were successful. I worked with the parents. I made plans. I told them that they could be somebody. Not just telling them that, but had solutions. And so as it relates to the educational um, aspect of that, the accountability is something, and also collaborating with other departments, federal, state, and local, to have more funding coming in. So and let's start. Just try to keep your eye on the. Oh, on the, sorry. All right. So basically, uh, I have the, those type of solutions. Thank so, you. Senator Taylor, one of the key issues here is how does a mayor control a budget that you don't have a vote on, and you not even have a board member there? So, when you're looking at these dollars that are the ESSER dollars, the uh, relief dollars, those you have control of. What do you do? How does the mayor of Milwaukee have a bigger say on what happens at MPS? The mayor is not uh, in every place, but the mayor has a platform that the mayor can use. I understood exactly what you were saying, and the phrase I like to say is, I want an ROI on my money, a return on my investment. I want my money to make money for me. You understand what I'm saying? Because I understood what you were saying. The money that goes to the school district, I want it to be done and used in a way that's going to help to prepare our young people for their future. You know, to put them on a path, the things that Nancy spoke about, to put them on a different path and to use that energy positively. So, one, I'd love to see us do things that help to create pathways to entrepreneurship and home ownership like the Inslee Alabama program that allows young people to go in and learn how to do a trade, learn how to fix some of the dilapidated properties that are around the city that don't need to be sitting that way to be a place that people can commit crimes in. Let our young people go and learn to do things there and put them on a path with that trade and with that skill to prepare them for work. It doesn't mean everybody, uh, I want to see them do urban agriculture also. So it doesn't mean everybody's going to be a farmer. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be in the trades, but it does mean they get a skill. And when you get a skill and you learn that, you know the value of work. So I want to make sure that we're investing in the programs that are going to give us something on the other end, whether it's home ownership, whether it's skills, or whether it's things along those lines. I'm challenged by MPS using money specifically in the buildings because the landlord of the buildings is the city. And we should make sure that our kids are in an environment they can appreciate. So, Michael Sampson, what do you do when you're mayor, if you're mayor? So, as the funds, I mean, the kids have to be in school for these funds to even be being used. So we got to get to a point where these schools aren't shutting down when there's a 6% positive rate in the schools. we got to keep these kids in schools and keep them learning. 
That's a huge thing right now. I don't know how you parents have been doing it. I don't have kids right now, but the stress uh, on these parents right now is, is unheard of. Uh, but that's the funds. And you guys, I've got to go spend time in D.C. We've got to make sure that these funds keep coming. They can't go anywhere after this year. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but there's plenty of grants and programs out there that we can go to D.C. and fight for and bring back to Milwaukee, and I have the time to do that. ARPA funds, I'd like to see the ARPA funds in the city the next round go to back to the bars and restaurants that did not get any PPP money the last round. That's A lot of people depend on restaurants for their food source. Everyone doesn't go to and eat in grocery stores, so that's a big problem in the city right now. We need to take care of our service industry and the employees that they have. Uh, last week I had a, a sad story of a woman, her name is Therese. She lives on the north side. Her husband died of COVID. She's on oxygen right now. She also had COVID. She lost her job driving a school bus, and she's trying to take care of her two nieces that go to Brookfield East. She, she's, that house has been crushed by COVID. We need to help and support the people that need help right now so she can continue supplying for her kids, and she doesn't lose her mortgage because that's what she's worried about right now. So we need to use ARPA funds to directly help people now. So I believe, did we get everybody or did we not get Bob down? Yeah, you started oh, you start with me. Okay, I just want to make sure. Um, in this topic of education, um, we saw on the news that uh, there's a plan to sort of break up MPS. And we may not get to everybody on this, but would there be a simple show of hands on how many people on this stage right now would support the breakup as it was proposed of MPS? Can I speak to that? Can I speak to that? Because it's not just an issue of whether or not we would or would not support it in the form that it's in. The form that it's in for people in the audience or those looking uh, somewhere else, uh, it would give the governor the ability to work with the mayor to decide what happens in the school district. Who wants to have Madison that can't even do the stuff we need to do as somebody that's in Madison? telling us what we need to do related to MPS. That right there is challenging. I will say that we do need a different funding formula, so I, I would like Madison to give us a different funding formula for our school district uh, because property taxes is, we're doing it on the backs of property tax um, payers. And, and then I'll end with, uh, there is no question that we should all be concerned that the reading scores, the math scores, the graduation rates, and then when individuals graduate, the literacy rate and the preparedness for work that is coming from our schools across our ecosystem. What I will say to you is that I'm going to use the platform of the mayor every day to be able to help to move our schools, all of them, in the appropriate direction. I'm the girl that went to Rufus King. I barely made it out of high school. Not because I wasn't gifted and talented, but because I was multitasking everything but my homework. And, and the young kids now have so much more on them than what I did. And the mental health challenges that they have and the suicide rates that they have are great. So I'm going to use my platform to help in every way I can, though. We'll leave it at that. Um, uh -oh. Go ahead. I keep giving these examples because I've been here too long. but <laughs> So... Uh, I think the main major problem that that we're seeing in MPS right now is that, you know, we want to support MPS. We really do. I'm a graduate of MPS. I went to La Follette. I went to Samuel Clemens. I went to Jackie Robinson, John Marshall High School. And throughout that time, I only had 
one black teacher, actually two. Um, that one was my Spanish teacher who forced me to take class with him. I, I, you had a black male. Uh, yeah. That's unusual. I, I had one black male teacher. And throughout um, my college education and, and, and grad school, I've only had two black male teachers throughout my entire educational career. I think that's a major issue, and I, I think that's something that I would like to see the mayor push MPS or use the bully pulpit to um, find a need for black male teachers because they are important, not just important for black students, they're important for white students too. And we've seen studies that show that when a student has a black male teacher, it raises everyone up. So I, I, was, I was wondering if, if that's something that you guys would try to push MPS to do more of. And don't just say yes because I said it. Is it something that you, you would really be concerned with uh, uh, moving forward? I'd like to answer. All right, uh, Bob Donovan. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, first of all, folks, without a doubt, uh, education is one of the top priorities of local government. In my estimation, public safety and education are the top two that local government is responsible for. As mayor, it is critical, whoever the mayor is, that that individual work with our current schools. That includes MPS, that includes private schools, that includes charter schools, that includes everyone, because you can't have a great city without great schools. Now the mayor can do a lot of things if it's a priority. So and what is a priority for you? So it is a priority what is, what for would me. That be? So what is the idea? What is you can do idea? a lot of things? Yes, absolutely. Get uh, more uh, black male teachers, but in addition. We can get uh, more mentors. We can get tutors to bring in. Our kids need to have that kind of people to look up to in their lives and impacting their lives. We've got many kids growing up without the structure and the discipline, and they don't have uh, good male examples to look up to. So the mayor can lead in many ways like that. Can I uh, so he can also, I believe. We're out of time there, so okay. I'm try can, can I interject? Uh, go ahead. Uh, as it relates to um, what you have stated, you know, every candidate keeps talking about MPS. What does that say about the children? Because it should be no child left behind. It's not just MPS. You have choice schools, charter schools, you know, uh, some children cannot sur survive at MPS because of the, the, uh, the foundation, the atmosphere. I believe in no child left behind. And as it relates to you saying about uh, African-American uh, teachers at choice schools such as Harambe, um, those 99% African-American teachers, 99% students. You have schools like Hope uh, Christian School that's in the African-American community and 0% and, uh, African-American students. You had a student named Tosavia uh, Bullock. She committed suicide because this specific school uh, on her graduation day, told her at the door that she couldn't graduate because they wanted to project the image that every every student was was uh, getting accepted from college, but it was a facade. They had to go out and uh, fill out applications to make it look like they got accepted. So we got to not just talk about MPS, but we got to talk about the proper education for the students, for the children. No child left behind. And if MPS is failing, then it's up to us to have alternatives to MPS. 
uh, and hold NPS accountable. You know, even though you're a product of NPS, I'm a product of NPS, but I'm not a successful product of NPS. Uh, I wanted to drop out of school at, at NPS because I was subjected to racism, bullying, and different things of that nature. And when I went to a choice school, I graduated with Dollar Victoria in my class. So, I know that all the women to meet today that just wanted to get in and then uh, Yes, I have definitely got something to say about this. Let's, let's get real, people. This is another failed attack by Republicans in Madison that is directed at Milwaukee only. Come on now. I, I mean, the reason I'm irritated is because I'm a mother of children that are in MPS. What mayor of Milwaukee is going to play nice with Madison Republicans, shake a hand while they stab us in the back? I mean, they're the reason that they've cut our shared revenue and that we can't help people out to have a good start in Milwaukee public schools. We've got lead in children's blood. We've got lack of housing. We've got poverty. We've got things that other places in the state of Wisconsin don't have. Republicans, if you want to help us out, give us the authority to raise revenue locally and leave us alone. I'm sorry. It's just not okay. And I'm telling you, there's people on this panel that have Republican support acting like it's okay. All right, we want, we're going to get to another question here, but I know that uh, Acting Mayor Johnson and then uh, Michael Sam, and then we'll try to get to Yeah, and, um, and thank you for the question. I think it's one that's important. Uh, James, when you were talking about your experience in Milwaukee Public Schools, I, was, I started thinking about my own. And we didn't have a lot growing up, and I went to a number of different schools. I went to Honey Creek, Parkview, Fairview, Carleton, Dover, Lincoln Avenue, Daniel Webster, and uh, ultimately graduated from Bayview High School. And... Uh, in my time growing up in Milwaukee Public Schools, I had two, a whole total of two African-American teachers. Uh, and I know their names even to this day, Ms. Mitchell, my social studies teacher in middle school, and Mr. Day, who was also a middle school English teacher. Uh, and I know this issue is very important. That's why you know, we actually put forward some policies to establish uh, the Office of Early Childhood Initiatives within the city of Milwaukee, so that we could work to make sure that the kids, the youngest kids in our city, uh, are set up for success before they enter into K3 and K4. We also worked uh, to, to implement a leading men's fellow program to bring more young African-American men into the teaching profession earlier on so we capture them so that they can be the ones that then go into the schools and be uh, the inspiration that we're, that we're talking about that we don't see. We've already put plans for it. They're already in action right now. There's more that we need to do. There's absolutely more that we need to do because you know, there are too many kids, especially too many young African-American men uh, that don't see their reflection in the people who are educating their classrooms, and that needs to change in Milwaukee. Uh, so, uh, Sheriff Lucas, uh, if you're elected, uh, when you look at this issue, uh, how do you become the mayor for all children in the city of Milwaukee? We do have charter, choice, and public school students, so that the schools reflect the community and the people who live here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to the original point. Uh, if not now, later, um, Madison is going to have its way in terms of um, um, trying to break up the Milwaukee public school system. But maybe as a, a, a new mayor coming in, we could change the discourse and the dialogue and so that there, there can be a, a conversation with Madison as to how uh, we can take responsibility for our city. I don't know a mayor uh, who would want to be in a city and not responsible for the education of our children. A city that does not educate its children will continue to incarcerate its children. So it's critically important that the next mayor play a role, whether it's using the bully pulpit, has been stated up here, in terms of how the funding uh, sources come to uh, Milwaukee, 
or whether it's being that, that, that image, uh, whether it's black uh, male uh, teachers in the classroom or using programs like uh, men uh, who go into classes, rooms, and read to young people. My wife, who was formerly a teacher, but still goes into schools to this day uh, to work with young people, uh, to uh, talk to our young uh, students and read to them so we can get their uh, proficiencies up. So uh, as the next mayor, we've got to prepare for the eventuality one way, and we should not be discouraged by that fact. We should be encouraged by that fact and take responsibility for it because nothing is more important than the education of our children. Uh, Michael Sampson, we'll have, you'll have the final say on this. Your first 100 days in office, if you get elected, how do you tackle this issue? Well, that got political pretty quick, but uh, back to the, the question at hand. Uh, we absolutely have to put, uh, we need more black leaders in our school system. Yeah. <laughs> Not just in our school system, but also our coaching programs. we got to, you know, more sports programming. It's all about programming. If we don't have programming, these kids are going to get in trouble and they're going to find other things to do. We have to get more programming in place. There was a, a great program growing up called PAL, which is the police, uh, the police athletically. We got to get those programs back in place. So these kids have access to police officers, uh, white or black, uh, just associating with them. Get these cops on the blocks, walking the cops, community policing, boots on ground. We have to get cops in front of the public again. Black cops especially. Same thing with the teachers. I mean, it's just needed. Apprenticeship programs, entrepreneurships, anything that can go into the schools right now and teach these kids, black, white, whatever race you are, but especially black leadership is definitely needed on the north side. I hear it all the time. I had a great meeting with Block yesterday, and it's something that they brought up. Thank you. Okay. Do I, oh. you got a chance. I do. Thank you. I was hoping I got a chance to speak about what we need to do with black teachers. Uh, well, we've had it got changed. Let, let, her, let her do it. Let her, go ahead. Lady. It's so important. Go ahead. Thank you so much. What I would love to do is do what the Obama administration spoke about using, um, they call them community health workers, but using connectors, credible messengers is kind of what OVP does to allow those individuals to go in because what's happened is black teachers, males especially, but also even with black females, but especially with men, they've had to go to other areas in order to be able to be hired, in order to be able to move up in the system. They've actually like flooded Racine. Um, and Racine is getting all of our people, you know, that have been in our education system. So what I would love to see us do is to do things to not only grow up our students to be able to become teachers in our school system, but also to use community health workers or as the Obama administration called them, connectors, to be in the schools so that they can be supports even for uh, teachers because teachers also have had some challenges being able to, um, you know, calm everything down so they can teach. It would be nice if teachers don't have to worry about feeding the kids, washing the clothes, doing all the different things, but they actually could teach. So having those individuals in school would also give, I believe, another opportunity for black men to be a role model and literacy of how to be a part in a community. I think that's huge. And then I'll end with this. Equity and diversity is not something we can just talk about in, in this forum. You have to look and see what people have done. When you look at my staffing, I've always made it a point to build capacity. Thank you. So now we're going to bring up uh, Jay Pawak to the mic. Jay, are you out there? And on your way up, don't forget, we are going to try to write down some questions. So if you do have a question, I don't know if David is still back there. I can see it. I see James. 
Oh, there's David right there. So if anybody has a question, have you been able to get a few, David? And then here's our other person. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, good evening. Um, my name is Jay Pollock. Um, I was born and raised in Shorewood. Um, Jay, could you come closer to the yeah, mic? Yeah, sorry I'm about sorry. that. It's better. Yeah, yeah uh, Jay Pollock. I was born and raised in Shorewood. Um, recently moved back to the community um, a couple years ago. I'm a property owner and resident of the east side. And my question tonight is in regards to the um, pension crisis facing the city. And this comes in two, par in two parts. Uh, the first part, and this is specific to the police department, how will each of you look to address the pension challenges from the perspective of fiscal mismanagement, general waste, operational inefficiencies within the department? And then secondly, looking at the likely scenario that city services will need to be cut, what services would you cut and why would you cut those particular services? So he's asking a lot of specific questions there. And so let's see if we can get some specific responses. And I'll start with uh, Senator Taylor. Thank you. Um, I think I heard you. Forgive me, I couldn't hear you very well. But I think you asked two questions. And I'm sorry, I'm using my time to get clarity. Uh, pension challenge uh, and how you would deal with the fiscal management and then services cut. And what services would I cut? Yes, Wonder correct. Thank you so much. And I also think I heard you say that you moved from Shorewood. I was your senator. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but on the pension challenges, um, I think we can do a few things. The first is we've got to um, look at the new people coming in and determine if we do something different and put them in the same plan and the same kind of effort that the rest of the city employees are in, number one. Number two, the fiscal mismanagement, that's true across the board, including even maybe with some of the ways that individuals want to use one-time funding to be able to fill holes in the city budget. I don't think that that's um, appropriate, and we have to do an audit on most of the departments, if I could just be very candid with you. An audit with the state has shown that the health department blatantly lied and said that they did services that they did not do. What city services would I cut? It's really difficult to say because I want to look at um, exactly where are we getting our outcomes? What do we need to throw away that we're not doing effectively that needs to be done different? So I think that's a hard question to uh, ask, but I'm just going to tell you, everything is on the table. When I first got my law degree, I had to use my law degree to take my brother from my mother. So when I tell you that I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and do what needs to be done, if it's got to be done, you can count on me for that. Sheriff Lucas. Thank you for that question, uh, Jay. As uh, the next mayor, what he or she has to do is prioritize uh, things coming into uh, the office of mayor. In terms of how we're going to continue to uh, fund the uh, fiscal, uh, fiscal shortages uh, as it relates to uh, the pension, we've got to uh, keep bear one thing in mind, that A, we've got to be there uh, for the employees, past and present, who have been there for us when we needed them, we need to be there for them when they need us as a community, and I'm going to be one supporting those city workers who have contributed their all and their best to our community. Second, we've got to be, uh, find ways to manage and reduce costs, because uh, obviously we're going to face the challenge up ahead, um, whether it's in the short term or in the long term. Uh, it might have been a delay uh, by the ARPA dollars that came here to the city, but we've got to be able to uh, start looking at now how we're going to either manage and or reduce costs. And then the third uh, thing, how are we going to get additional funding uh, from 
uh, the state to help us uh, in terms of meeting our fiscal challenges because we are the economic engine of our state. In terms of uh, city services uh, that, are, are, uh, that are wasteful, uh, you've got to take a look at all the city services, not just the police department. Certainly, one looks at police uh, overtime budgets and say that that's a critical area. But we've got to look at all uh, city departments and ask which ones will be cut. That's a determination that a mayor has to uh, uh, make when he or she walks into office, that you've got to be able to look at the total picture and not sit back uh, during a campaign and make those decisions because it's very vitally important that we make the right decisions, uh, not a fast decision, but make the right decisions. Would there be any department that would be off limits to you that there could not be any cuts to? I just, quite frankly, again, everything has to be on the table because, again, uh, we're all in this together. And uh, the only way we're going to get out of this is that we work together. Um, Bob Donovan, right now, state is sitting on a surplus of about $3.8 billion. Um, if you're elected mayor, do you go up there address these questions in terms of you go to the governor or you go to the Speaker of the House and say, I've got a pension obligation here that doubles in 2023. You're sitting on $3.8 billion surplus. Can we get some of that money? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, uh, to answer your question, yes. Uh, if I am elected uh, mayor, uh, I would the first phone call that would be made would be to the governor, to our state legislators. A partnership with the state of Wisconsin is critical to Milwaukee's fiscal future. And I believe uh, I uh, am an individual who has uh, connections in Madison that could get that done. Second of all, I think before we ask for funds from the state of Wisconsin, I think we do need to ensure that every penny is spent wisely, and I would. I know uh, other candidates have said the same thing, but it is absolutely critical that we also conduct an audit of all of our city departments. And, uh, uh, yeah. Would you and, eliminate and, anything you know now? I mean, what would be... Well, as mayor, I would sit down with the members of the Common Council. You can't get a budget passed uh, without their support. And um, uh, we would hash out what needs to be done, what are the priorities. In any budget, uh, you have to set your priorities. Uh, Can I ask a question? What, what was the last time an uh, audit of all city services done. I, I mean, I, I hear this said all the time. When was the last time that, that's been done? Uh, that's a very good question. I know it was a campaign promised by Mayor Barrett in 2004. It, it was never followed through on. Mm. Correct. Mm. I would have said it in, I would have said it last time in a debate if he had debated me. Okay. <laughs> well, so the last time an audit was done was 2004? No, that's the no. last time there was a promise. There was a yeah. promise. So we, we don't know when the last time an audit was done. Yeah. The only department that was audited is the, um, that the Legislative Audit Bureau in Madison did was of the Health Department, and it showed in particular that the Health Department said that they did services for lead um, for people who were po had positive, children who had positive tests, and it was shown that they had not done that. That's, that's the Can only I thing. interject? Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to know that the candidates are listening to me because I was the only candidate that stated that if I was elected mayor, I would do a complete audit uh, to see where all the wasteful spending is going. Because if we did an audit, we could save billions a year. 
and as it relates to the pension, um, I think about the corruption that led to the scandal of the pension uh, crisis. And if we would have held people accountable, we wouldn't have a pension crisis. Um, so as it relates to that, new people that come in, I have an idea about having them self-manage their own um, money. Something like a 401k to try to, try to stop the, uh, the wheels from rolling so fast. And then as it relates to uh, um, the pension, trying to build a stronger economy so that we can have revenue, uh, more revenue to go towards kind of trying to uh, get this pension crisis together. Um, as it relates to city services, why would we cut city services when already we're not even being served? You know, so uh, I would like to collaborate, you know, uh, collaborate with people with different things of that nature to, to, to uh, effectuate change and bring services to the people. Thank you. So, Alderwoman Dmitrievich, uh, getting back to the premise of the question, I mean, that first budget for the next mayor, you're staring at a doubling of the pension. And that could change a little bit depending what the final numbers will look like. And city services, knowing where, where you're going to have your police department and all other services that you want to do. Where's the solution? What's the specific answer? Well, having experience as a county supervisor and as an alderwoman, um, I can tell you that the, the real audit is you all out there when you go to the ballot box next week. You're letting us know if you're receiving a return on your investment. As an alderwoman, I pick up the phone every day to hear about people who their streets aren't plowed enough, they're not getting the best garbage pickup, or the recycling bins are full, or your street lights are out over and over and over again. That's the audit. And But here's the thing. The great governor, Tony Evers, you're right, he has a plan for that surplus, to put $150 in every one of your pockets, as well as money for our public school system. And guess who's standing in the way of that? Once again, our Madison Republicans in the way of Milwaukee's prosperity. And so what do you do? As a mom, I, I work on my own household budget. When things aren't working, you make a cut or you increase revenue. I've got a plan to increase revenue, whether it's, again, a Tony Evers plan to legalize marijuana and tax it and bring that money to the city of Milwaukee and build up our schools, or if it's what the people have asked for in a local referendum, like I said, if you love us, give us the authority to do what we want to do and talk to the people. What if we had an extra couple cents on every beer during the Bucks championship? The streets that you drove in here would be a lot smoother, and we could do a lot more in city government. So either you make some cuts, which we've already cut plenty of services, public safety and fire and many services, or you increase revenue. And I would very much like to increase the revenue. Not asking for more, I'm asking for our fair share. So what does that conversation look like, Acting Mayor Johnson, on fair share, and is there need to be a conversation going forward, the complete relationship with the state when it comes to shared revenue, when it comes to shared services, even within the city and the county, are there other options for a mayor to address a dwindling resource? Yeah, there are, um, and in order for us to address our very serious fiscal challenges that the city faces, we're going to have to collaborate with Madison. Right? I, I'm in support of Governor Evers and his proposals to legalize and tax marijuana because that's a new revenue source for us as well, but we also have to recognize, we may not like it, uh, but Republicans are in control of the legislature, at least for now. Right? So that's a political fact, and you have to be a political realist when you're talking about providing services and getting more revenues to the city of Milwaukee. So that is one. Uh, to address the question about how do we address the pension issue and keep more money? Well, we got a lot of money going out the door because of lawsuits against police. I think one of the critical things that we ought to do is support leadership 
uh, like Chief Jeffrey Norman in the police department and new leadership on the Fire and Police Commission to implement reforms so we don't have lawsuits uh, in the first place. Uh, that's uh, one uh, first and foremost. Another thing uh, that we've done and that I led on was putting $30 million uh, into uh, the budget uh, via the ARPA uh, funds so that we'd be in a position to uh, stop this immediate impact from the pension impacting us and so we wouldn't have uh, service cuts that would happen uh, uh, coming up next year. We need to close the pension uh, system that we have now and transfer city employees over to the state system. Only Milwaukee County and the city of Milwaukee are the only local governments in the state, in the whole state, that have their own pension systems. We need to change that. We need to work with the state uh, in order to do it. And then, uh, again, we need to work with the, we need to work with the state. We need to build new relationships, and I'm willing to do that. I've already been in the Capitol uh, as mayor. I've said I'm going to have a cop there. I went to UW-Madison, so I know uh, how to drive that road up and down, and I'm going to do that as mayor. Michael Sampson, that leaves you. Uh, you're a business guy. You put a budget together. Everybody has to put budgets together. But what do you hear when you're talking to the business community about what could change to bring in either additional dollars, address these costs that are rising, and uh, do you hold on to all city services, or what do you yeah, you have to look at, we need different ideas. We need, I talked about a cryptocurrency coin. Miami has one in place that's raised $10 million for the city. A new idea for the city of Milwaukee that no one's thinking about right now that could help raise money. The hop, we gotta start paying. It costs $3 million a year, we're not getting any money chipping away at that, that's a problem. Marijuana, another easy one to, to hopefully, you know, chip away at at the state uh, that we desperately need so we stop losing money uh, to Illinois. Uh, but I'm, I'm willing to spend time with Robin. I'll use popcorn. I'll do what I got to do. But we gotta, we, we gotta go to him. He's, you know, he's he's holding Milwaukee back right now. I'm not gonna sit and hope for a sales tax or shared revenue because that's we can't hope. It's a pipe dream right now. We gotta go out and find other ways to make money. I don't want to cut programs, but we ha do have to relook at our, our pension problem. If we don't cap the pensions right now for the MPD, it's gonna be a problem in the future. We need to look at WPS and start with new recruits and get them in that system. And then overtime for police. Police is the only city worker right now that their overtime is included in their pension fund. That's a problem. Why is only the police department? City workers work just as hard as, other, as the police department and deserve that in their you know, pensions as well. But we have to reform everything. One, one thing to take away, the stack program. Get rid of it. We, it came here after 9-11. There's one in Madison already. We don't need one in Milwaukee. I just saved the city $3 million. Thank you. Uh, just to be clear, on the streetcar, you're saying what? Get rid of it or no expansion? Where are you on that? If we're going to expand it at this point, it's a tourism vehicle. So if it's going to go to Pato, have Pato pay for it. If it's going to go for the Fiserv, have the Fiserv pay for it. And people that want to ride it... We need to start getting some money from the people that like it and are riding it. I lived on the east side. I rode it. I rode it to the Amtrak station. Right, right now, it's a tourism vehicle. Okay, let's uh, move on. Um, I would like Latoya. I would like Latoya Woods to come to the mic. Latoya. Hi, Latoya. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a current Milwaukee resident. I am a lifelong resident. Ms. Latoya, resident. I can't I'm, hear you. I'm so sorry. I'm a current Milwaukee resident. I am a mother of three children. 
And my question um, that I would like to ask is, um, the city of Milwaukee was facing a housing crisis before the pandemic. That housing crisis has increased. What are your plans to address affordabil affordability, um, slum lords, uh, home ownership, the racial gap, and also homelessness? And we will start with Acting Mayor Johnson. Great, thank you uh, for that question, Latoya. It's one that uh, is very important, as a matter of fact. Just this morning on a walk, uh, in the neighborhoods with the Office of Violence Prevention. Uh, I went on the block where I lived uh, as a kid, where six uh, people lost their lives, unfortunately, a couple weeks ago. And the house that I lived in there as a fourth grader is boarded up uh, and is in complete disrepair. So housing, especially stable housing for families in Milwaukee, is critically important. And that's why uh, I worked to make sure that when we had the initial tranche of ARPA funds. So we put $40 million, the largest investment ever, into affordable housing. So we could take housing that the city currently has in its inventory, fix, that, fix those properties up, and then sell them to owner-occupants who are going to add stability into our neighborhoods. So that's one thing. Another thing that I think is important that we do moving forward is when prosperity happens downtown or in other prosperity neighborhoods, whether it's Bayview, the East Side, Walker's Point, or other places in the city that do well. When those TIF districts close out, then you take the, the increment in that last year, because legally we can do that. You take that money uh, that you have at the city, you pair that money with philanthropic dollars, you pair that money with private sector dollars too, and then you invest that money into the neighborhoods to, to address this issue around housing instability and affordable housing across the city of Milwaukee. My, my question is this. Um, Carrie Spivak, uh, who's a colleague of mine who works for the Journal Sentinel, I gotta put in a plug for the Journal Sentinel. If you, this is a time to subscribe if you haven't subscribed. <laughs> a dollar for three months. <laughs> anyway, Kerry uh, uh, did a great piece. Uh, he's one of the best uh, reporters on housing and, and evictions in the, in the country. And he talked about uh, our good friend Barada, who uh, evicted over 800 people, or about 800 people in the first month and a half of, the, of this new year. What can we do to help keep families in homes? I have a suggestion. We should move to uh, the New York plan, which involves uh, giving people right to counsel when they go to, when they go to uh, court. They should have lawyer representation. 95% uh, of uh, landlords have lawyers and less than 10% of people being evicted have a lawyer. So the odds are all often, you know, it's like this, the scales of justice. In New York City, they have right to counsel. I wrote about this, I hope you all read it. Um, I wrote about this, but right to counsel is keeping people in their homes and it's also protecting landlords because landlords know what they can and cannot do. So would anybody on the panel be in support of a program like that bringing it here? Yeah. Can I, but I'd like to speak on it because I have a record on it. Yeah. Can I? Because we yes. sat. On, yes. Can I? Yeah. Because we sat on the panel together on the work that I did in the Milwaukee County Board, uh, which was to provide that initial funding and public dollars. The program got started to reduce evictions and provide people public assistance to the right to counsel in Milwaukee County. 
We started that program and we got a lot of heat. People said, don't use taxpayer dollars to help people defend themselves. We have to tip the scales in the favor of justice. So that program started there. And on top of that, I also worked, I, I took on the Landlords Association when, when I, I brought forward legislation to ban discrimination on Section 8 and voucher recipients. And we got that adopted. And I sat there with a lot of people yelling at me, but I did the thing that was right. And I feel like that's how we can move things forward on housing. I have to mention black home ownership. As mayor, I want to increase black home ownership anywhere from 10 to 15% annually. What does that look like? When the gap is so far from in the 20% to the 60% from black to white home ownership, our city is racial, racially and economically unjust. We can't move forward when there's a gap like that. And we have to do something about it. Which is what? Well, we have federal funds, as the, the good acting mayor mentioned, that we've invested in the housing trust fund, and we have to be intentional with wraparound services that provide down payment support, reduce evictions, reduce foreclosures, remove lead from housing, and make it as affordable as possible, including anti-displacement funds. Because as the downtown succeeds, the neighborhoods around there are being displaced. We need tenant preference as we build new, uh, new developments around the downtown. Can I talk after? Sheriff Lucas. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were calling me with another question. Thank you for your question, uh, Latoya. Uh, when you think about um, the disparities in housing here, it's nothing new for Milwaukeeans that have lived here for a long time. It's one of our biggest racial injustice um, um, things here in the city of Milwaukee is the housing uh, disparities that we have here. You know, to see a, a landlord like Barada and others, out-of-state uh, investors here in the city of Milwaukee, how did we get that? And, and why hasn't legislation uh, been already put forth to prevent and close those kind of uh, uh, loopholes for uh, owners? Um, the city has taken steps uh, to address uh, getting some of the uh, housing stock off uh, the city's role and put it back out for home ownership. I think that's a wonderful effort. We need to invest more into it to move people from occupancy to ownership. And certainly, um, and how we uh, use flexible uh, capital uh, to invest in neighborhoods, uh, the philanthropic dollars, TIF dollars, and other things like that, so that neighborhoods can start investing in their neighborhoods, grow and develop their neighborhoods. So uh, there's a number uh, of efforts uh, that we can make here. Uh, but again, how do we get to this problem? Um, some have watched this problem uh, develop over the years and haven't done uh, anything about it. Uh, wh why is it that we have to address that issue now? And that's the reason that's important that we elect the right leader coming in, somebody that's going to go to work and start addressing uh, the problem, attacking the problem of, of the uh, housing gap, uh, the racial disparities, the homelessness in our city, because it's so critically important to our future. Thank you. Uh, so, Bob Donovan, when you look at this problem, what, what is it that you see? Is there a tool missing in the toolkit? What addresses the issue that gives people that pride of home ownership and that ability to build neighborhoods to succeed on all sides of town? Well, I think uh, certainly the first thing I would do uh, as mayor is uh, point Marina, my housing commissioner. Um, <laughs> I like some of the things you had to say. <laughs> Having said that, uh, folks, as... Uh, I already got a job, man. Regard, regarding, <laughs> regarding housing, uh, I would want to work with Habitat for Humanity. I would want to uh, work with uh, uh, creating a rent-to-own program, all of these things that, that are important. And I'm going to say this, too. 
I have always been a believer that um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think that there are excellent programs. James has mentioned some of them, but there are a lot of excellent programs that have been successful in other communities. Any leader needs to bring those to Milwaukee, perhaps fine-tune it, and make it work here. Any good leader addresses the problem by getting the right people around the table. There's going to be issues that whoever the next mayor is, he's going to have to deal with that we can't even imagine right now. So what is most important is what skills, leadership skills, he or she may bring to the table. I would just say that, you know, Habitat for Humanity will tell you that the pace that they're on, they're not going to be able to meet the need. And so the challenge is, how do you increase the pace? How do you provide more affordable housing? Senator Taylor, what would you do? Thank you so much. Um, first of all, you're spot on. This is what was in the book, Evicted, and everyone became uh, aware when that happened. Some of us knew beforehand. Um, one of the things that I'll go back to, I mentioned the program that um, Inslee, Alabama has. That program in particular helps to align with our schools so that our young people are learning the trades, learning the skills, and becoming homeowners in city-owned property. The way that many of the individuals that are on this panel at, in city government, they've done things that help the developers, but not help the residents. We don't have 20% African-American homeownership, not even 7%. And it's extremely dismal in a city that is majority people of color. So I want to see the kinds of programs that allow us to take the properties that we have before they become dilapidated, before they're sitting for three years in an eyesore. I want to be able to take those properties and I want us to be able to use those in a Habitat for Humanity model, but like the Inslee, Alabama model, so that we're turning young people into homeowners, not just I want to do adults too, don't get me wrong, but I want to do young people also. And then I'll end with this, you said, what are we going to do with slumlords? People have asked Barada to take on the properties that were the worst in the city. And I appreciate that Barada did that. But I also am going to say 10% of evictions out of 8,000 properties is, you know, even God gets 10%. So, I, so I'm here to say that we need to do something, I see the X, but we need to do something to help in that process for justice impacted people, but we also have to be fair to people who own properties and you know how to do that. So I'll follow up that with Michael and then Aisha because this came from an audience question, which is what is your position and intention for how ARPA funds will be allocated and what investment partners specifically regarding affordable housing development will your administration uh, prioritize? I mean, you can buy tiny houses on Amazon these days. So let's stop trying to build these big uh, apartment buildings for affordable housing and let's, let's rethink things. Let's look at a smaller scale. People just need roofs over their head at this point. It doesn't have to be the new shiny apartment complex. It can be a house off Amazon. So from a modular standpoint, let's, let's think outside the box. Uh, I'm with you on definitely everyone deserves counsel. So we got to make sure that these people that are getting evicted right now by Barada and other slumlords in the city get their fair representation and are getting what they need to fight. Um, also, downtown developers. We gotta start looking to the north and south sides. There's plenty of money in downtown. These developers that have put up the same apartment complexes, we all know who they are, we all know what they look like, they all look the same. Let's get some of these on the north and south sides. Let's make them affordable. Let's get roofs over people's heads. 
And ARPA funds, this again, once in a lifetime opportunity. The woman I spoke of earlier, she's struggling, she needs help, she's struggling with her mortgage, her husband passed away, she can't work, we need to find relief to her right now. Thank you. So Aisha Griffin, do you have partners and how would you deal with landlords? Well, um, I don't even see how uh, a lot of these candidates would even take on evictions when all, a lot of them are homeowners and they have staggering rates of ev evicted people. Um, so I don't see how they would advocate for the people if they are a part of the problem. Um, another thing is, as it relates to homelessness, you have third-party uh, uh, businesses out here now that's developing a lot of these apartments and they only got 25% occupancy. And so people cannot afford the rent. I would initiate rental caps um, as it relates to slumlords. I think that uh, slumlords need to be held accountable in a court of law, you know, because it's uh, inhumane to, to, to rent out houses that's, um, in, in, that's not um, up to par. You know, uh, sometimes they'll say no pets, but then you have to move in with roaches and, 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 and mice, you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, you know, so it's, it's ludicrous. Well, my Aisha for the People plan, I have Mendes, Major Economic Neighborhood Development Under Supervision, which talks about the dollar houses that the city allows to just sit. I would like to donate some of them houses <coughs> to the homeless, to people who can't afford homes, you know, yeah. a different thing than the nation. Also, the relates to seniors and homeowners, a lot of seniors have already paid their mortgages and are being basically pimped by the government. Um, into penalizing them about property taxes. I would like to exempt the seniors from paying property taxes so they can stay in their homes, you know? Uh, so those are some of my ideas uh, as it relates to trying to combat the homelessness in Milwaukee. Thank you. And Acting Mayor Johnson, you got a follow-up. Uh, yeah, and thank you. I, I just wanted to highlight the fact that, uh, again, when we uh, we're putting together the first uh, spending plan for the uh, American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Uh, we actually did include uh, right to counsel uh, legislation, so we put over a million dollars towards that. That's critical for times just like this, where you got 800 people at a time that are being evicted from properties in Milwaukee. Uh, it's true that uh, Habitat for Humanity does great work in Milwaukee, but unfortunately this, that system is fractured, right? Uh, there are so many different of those organizations just within our region. So there should be, I think, some consolidation between the Milwaukee habitat and the, and the ones surrounding the suburban communities so that we can boost capacity there. Um, I would say as well with that uh, initial tranche of ARPA, we put $10 million, as Alderwoman Dimitrievich said, $10 million into the housing trust fund. And we chose $10 million as a challenge because there's some 32,000 affordable housing units that were, that were sorely lacking in Milwaukee. And so my goal to developers was to, was to say, don't just look downtown, look to the neighborhoods, help us to address this issue. Here's $10 million to help out, make the affordable uh, housing investments in our neighborhoods so that we can address this issue around homelessness uh, and people who are being evicted or can't afford homes in the city of Milwaukee. And lastly, you know, uh, I think we still have to, we still have to be square with the folks who live in the city, right? Uh, I want and appreciate uh, the opportunity to have seniors to stay in their homes, right? That's why I think all of us on this stage support uh, the anti-displacement fund, but there is state law, uniformity clause, that doesn't allow local governments to be able to address that in the way that we should. All of us think that. You can with referendums.
yes, uh, perhaps with the referendum, um, but it takes state law in order to change that. So referendums are power to the people. The people decide James. that. Okay, we're, we're going to bring Jacqueline Clark Ivy to the mic, but before she comes, you could come on up, but one thing that I think people need to understand, we have a wealth gap that's going on. That's why Correct. people can't afford houses. I mean, Correct. only 14.5% yep. yep. of African-American men make more than $40,000 a year in Milwaukee. So you can't really buy a house with that. So we have to start thinking about how do we raise wages in, in Milwaukee. In, in, in so let's look at that as uh, we wait for this next question. I mean, um, when you look at how does a city create a workforce that can buy homes, uh, where does it begin? So I'll begin with you, uh, Sheriff Lucas, when you look at an economic plan. Mm -hmm. you know, who are you going to partner with that we maybe aren't doing enough with? Or where does that big lift uh, come? We see like Milwaukee Tool, right? They're coming downtown with hundreds of new jobs. Is it more of that or is it creating more in the neighborhoods to stabilize the neighborhoods? Well, I think it's a, a bit of both, but let me look at it from a different perspective, uh, Charles. Uh, when new investors come into the city of Milwaukee, the downtown developers, and they have a plan for how they want to place their investment in a certain area of Milwaukee, they have to see and understand the people's vision for the city of Milwaukee, and that's for a broader uh, vision of developing our neighborhoods, uh, which have been long neglected now over the past two decades uh, by the previous administration. We've got to have a focused uh, uh, mayor who is going to focus on helping all neighborhoods from Bayview to Harambe, from River West out to Wedgwood, rise when any one area of the city rise. And so it's by uh, asking those investors to see the entire vision of the city of Milwaukee, partner with us, help us uh, improve and grow neighborhoods, uh, get people uh, to uh, um, affordable um, uh, jobs, uh, family-sustaining jobs, I'm sorry, family-sustaining jobs, and give them the opportunity to move from occupants to ownership. I think that's got to be part of the key of the master plan as we move forward here in the city of Milwaukee. And um, again, one thing that we must do is, again, ensure that those investors understand the key of the vision of the next mayor and the people of this city as we move forward. Is there other personnel? Yes. Um, Saidi? Tell us a little bit about yourself first. My name is Jackie Clark. Um, born and raised in this city. I have been fighting uh, social justice issues since the 90s from welfare reform, public transportation, felons right to vote. And um, recently I became a member of the Milwaukee Autonomous Tennis Union. In 2017, I was wrongfully evicted from Beretta Properties. Seeking solutions, I joined the Milwaukee Autonomous Tennis Union. And during that time, helping um, individuals um, fight the eviction, one thing that I advocated for was the right to counsel. Mm -hmm. And a year or so ago, um, we spent an hour, and some of the members are here tonight, waiting for the county supervisors to actually support that resolution in which they did, the right to counsel. And during that time, during that research, time of mind. I, um, it's, it's a report, the Wisconsin Public Policy Forum. Mm -hmm. In 2020, that report 
It's um, titled uh, Layout for Affordable Housing and Priorities for Milwaukee. And really what floored me was that, and this is a question to the candidates, there is no housing director. So the, the solutions that you um, shared tonight, who's actually in charge of making that happen? We don't have a housing director, so we have uh, capitalist property owners like Beretta Properties that came through the city, buying up these properties, evicting people in the way that's, that's going on now, but there's no leadership there. So what would, are you going to do about that? Would we have a, a housing director in place too for better housing in the city? Can I ask you a question real quick? Um, in the right to counsel out in New York City, they don't necessarily have a housing director either. They have a, uh, a board of people that represent tenants, sure. and they operate that way. Do you necessarily need a housing director to do what you, what you think we need to do here? Well, I think so because it's so fragmented. You know, in the city of Milwaukee, their primary thing is repairing. We're going to repair the house, repair the house. So why don't we look at what's happening in Minneapolis, what's happening in Detroit, what's happening in New York. You know, let's, let's think of some different ways to ensure that people don't have to go through what we're, what's going through now in the city of Milwaukee as far as this high eviction. So that's, let's talk about it. Can I answer that question? Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. If I was elected mayor, um, am I Aisha for the people plan? I have TCB committees taking care of business committees where we look at every department in the uh, city of Milwaukee, every agency, and um, look at the, where they're failing the people so we can enact, enact certain things of that nature. And also I have calendar constituent service days where I regularly meet with the citizens so that I can hear issues like what you're saying. Um, one of the things that I personally would like to do as a, a paralegal uh, and a, a document preparer, I always work with pro se litigants. So, you know, I, I um, would like to have something called Heaven's Advocate teaching people how to represent themselves because sometimes when you have a lawyer, it's still ineffective, you know. Um, that's the number one reason on appeal, ineffective assistance of counsel. And so you can have a lawyer, and unfortunately with the corruption in, in, in Wisconsin, you know, um, the African-American, specifically the African-American female, is the last person to get relief on appeal. You know, so you can go through certain cycles of different things of that nature, but you got to have the knowledge of certain things, and that's what my TCB committees would do. That, that will kind of uh, correlate what you said as a, as a housing director, even though they don't have it in Milwaukee. That would be something I would implement through my TCB committee, Aisha for the People Plan. So, James, I thought we did address the right to counsel issues. There are there some other specifics, though, that you would like to see in terms of someone overall? Uh, I guess if you were to look at the City Hall and your cabinet, uh, is there some sort of new position that would address housing from A to Z, uh, different than what it is. Is there a unique or different plan here that can address housing, which is, remains a big issue? Michael Sampson, you're holding up there. I think at this point, everyone's just looking for someone to step up and lead. Mm -hmm. you're, you're looking for answers and you're not getting them. So whatever we're doing, we're, we're failing right now and we're failing the north side of Milwaukee with all these evictions happening. The fact that we've let someone like Barada come in from out of state and control city-owned properties, that needs to stop. 
we got to make sure that the city-owned properties that are going out for auctions are not getting bought up by out-of-state people. They need a Wisconsin driver's license. They need a city of Milwaukee license. Make sure that their neighbor, make sure their community member, someone that people knows, we got to put a stop to this stuff now. We need a new leader. Senator Taylor. Thank you so much. So the first thing, Jackie, I want to say is that you're completely right. Things are siloed. And I want to say this. The city has promoted larger landlords and developers to get properties and not residents. We know that. Remember when all the people came down to try to get a dollar house and the city didn't allow them to do it and they even had rules that individuals who had criminal records couldn't do it? And when we know we have a city and a state that leads in mass incarceration, hmm, wasn't really smart. So what I want to say to you is yes, because the first thing I want to do is to be able to deal with multiple silos that we have to create alignments. It's why I want to create a kind of program that I talked about, so that tenants learn their rights and their responsibilities. I want individuals who also are getting um, the uh, Section 8 to know about the programs that they can become homeowners through the Section 8 process that many I don't believe know. And although I hear you and you're right, $75,000, uh, 85% of African Americans in particular don't make $75,000. So I get what you're saying about homes. But Mike has said, Michael has said something that's spot on about tiny homes and very candidly using even the assets that we have as a community. So I intend to make sure that there is a pathway for people to know their rights. And I intend to make sure that landlords have responsibility because some people, like my mother, she's into helping people who are homeless. You know, I'm a landlord. I, I help what she do, but in the buildings that I expect rent, I, I do need my rent because the mortgage company don't say, oh, Lena, we're going to give you a pass. Marina. Okay, thank you. Um, I think what I hear from you is what we hear a lot in the city hall is that you have to go to many different places to get many different services. You got the Department of City Development, you got the area that handles re rental assistance, you've got to go to the health department if there's been lead found in your house and then in your child's blood. So you're right, if we have a coordinated plan and we make, when you ask about the first hundred days, um, you also asked about the, the, the wage gap, and I have to bring it up because it's all interconnected. I believe in $15 in a union, mm -hmm. and I think that it is totally unacceptable that there could be two people working in a household that work full-time and still live in poverty. It's just unacceptable. And until we roll up our sleeves and face it head-on and make a change, the amount of money that could go into preventing evictions, I mean, you're talking about your story. That is on your record for forever unless we can get it off the record sure. you know tenants need to come together and and exhibit power like you're working on and thank you for doing that good work to create a balance landlords can look up what's on your back record but can you look up what's on their record it's time to give people a fair shot to succeed and it's up to the government to level the playing field people were hurting long before the pandemic if we go back to normal guess what there was a pandemic before the pandemic it's time for change so do you streamline that then uh, in the mayor's office and the $15 an hour, is that for city workers and how would you advocate that for all city jobs? Well, I do have a record already working on uh, increasing benefits and value and setting high standards in the city of Milwaukee with the paid parental leave plan that was adopted just yesterday. We set standards and we can raise wages and raise everybody up. I think $15 in a union is what most workers deserve. 
All the issues we talked about tonight, the, the income, the wealth gap, if we could raise wages, that would help MPS. It would help families. This is a national and international discussion. Let's move ahead and get ahead of the times. Bob Donovan. Well, to answer your question, uh, yes, I would certainly be open to a housing director, whether it's a board or an individual, um, and to advise the mayor on a variety of, of issues all related to, uh, to housing. And I know we were talking about, uh, and I don't know if it was, uh, so what else was the question? Um, she had a lot in there. Was there something else specific as you're hearing people talk here? No, what, what I'm hearing is solutions, and, and I'm, I'm like what I'm hearing so far. I just wanted to add also, I don't know if I said this or not, I also worked for Milwaukee Public Schools as a special education teacher. The breakup, I don't support, and I'll be back. But mm -hmm. um, well, when we look at the housing issue uh, in a uh, affordable living wage, uh, Bob Donovan, would you look at anything specifically for city workers and for all city jobs in the private sector? Well, I I think uh, city workers are getting paid pretty damn good. Uh, I I look at uh, a number of individuals at the higher range that wow can't believe what they're making for the job they're doing. Having said that, um, um, I uh, totally support uh, an appropriate wage. I expect that and would want to convey to all of our workers as the mayor, and I think it's important, that uh, we're going to uh, support them, back them up. I can give you a number of examples where I work with groups of employees that we were losing a lot of 911 operators that were going to other municipalities because we weren't paying them the appropriate competitive wage. We were able to raise that up. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, certainly important to me. Menominee Valley of, of the North, right? And he wanted it to be booming like it used to be booming when we had manufacturing jobs, over 5,000 men going there, men and women going there working during the 80s. He actually grew up in that area, um, lived like about a mile away from the A.O. Smith site, I, where, where I currently live. So my, my question for you is do you, does anyone on, on this panel have a plan <coughs> for the Century City site? If so, what is the plan? Because we spent $33 million renovating that area and only to have like a few dozen workers working there. That seems like a, if we want to do an audit, that seems like, hmm. like wasteful spending. So I, I would like to know what the plan or if you have a plan for this Century City area. Any, anybody could take it. I'd, I'd love yep. to uh, take that if I can. Uh, so first of all, I even took a plan uh, to the city. Uh, urban agriculture is something that I believe that we can use as an industry uh, to 
be a, like a leader in the nation. And if we had started almost a decade ago when I said it, boy, where we would be. So first of all, the soil at A.O. Smith, I'm gonna call it, because that's what I knew it as, that's where my father worked, is very contaminated. If we grew hemp there, so that hemp, in case you don't know, is like a filter, it takes in all of the contaminants. <coughs> if we were to do that, we could turn that hemp into something that's called hempcrete. Hemp is 20 times stronger than steel. I don't know if you can use hempcrete for potholes and for street repairs, but I'm all willing to try, <laughs> you know, because we've got both of those problems. I want to be able to see Century City be a hub for urban agriculture. I want to be able to see it be a hub for what we can do with hemp. And I'm going to say it goes right in line with the development that MMSD already has in its plan. As a former MMSD um, commissioner, or I forget what we were called, yeah, commissioner, um, we already have phase one, two, three, four of things that have been going on and what they intend to do in the streets that are nearby. This would be spot on for us to be able to do that work. So it's interesting because one of the questions was, what do you intend to do with the untapped hemp industry? So someone was well, asking about and, that. And I'd love to finish, but I still had about 15 seconds, Charles. And I just want to be able to say one other thing in, you know, one other thing in that regard is when I brought the information, I was told that there are no end jobs in agriculture and no end jobs in forestry, both not true. Look at states that are doing this and are leading, created thousands of jobs. We can do that. So there's hope in him. There is not only hope in him, it's money in him, it's help in him. You can use him from everything to eat, All right, to make we'll clothes. What... Okay. Right. We're talking Century City. So I'm just saying. She may be an And I did in the hemp. legislation at the state. Okay. okay. How much hemp stock do you have? Uh, we have to go out and, and find a business to, to take the spot there. Masterlock needs a partner in that area. The manufacturing we lost in the 70s has never been replaced. Mm -hmm. I promise to go out there, mayor or not, I promise to start, you know, go out in this country and find someone to go fill that space. Mm -hmm. That's badly needed, and it's a big eyesore in the city right now. We need to fill that space with jobs. That's going to get to our, you know, the city needs back to the job thing. $15 minimum wage. Minneapolis is doing it. They put a, a progressive sale in place. It doesn't just jump into $15 minimum wage. It starts at 10, goes to 12, goes to 15. As a city, we can be leaders and start with that right now at a city level. And then ask our community partners, ask Milwaukee Tool and We Energies and everyone to get on board with a $15 minimum wage as well so we can say the city of Milwaukee has a minimum wage of $15. That's going to attract more jobs and more people to Milwaukee which is going to help everyone out. So, uh, Alderwoman Dmitrievich, so what do you think has prevented Century City from taking off, and how could you change that? Well, um, I have to add on to what my good friend, the senator, mentioned about a green economy. I'm just going to go a little different green. So I like your green, but I want to go with if we can commit, and, and when I'm, a, and, and just hear me out, when I'm mayor, I will declare the climate crisis that is actually happening right now. When you do that and you start with that lens, and hear me out, this is where I'm going with the green economy, I will commit to a 45% reduction in greenhouse gases. If we have that commitment and we join other urban cities that have done that, this is about a green economy. So you're right, the manufacturing jobs have changed. And if we can get into these green jobs, renewable energy, and we have a commitment with public resources, that can be an area and a site 
for transitional jobs that lead to good quality green jobs. And I think that's the future of urban cities. I want to reduce those greenhouse emissions and have a clean city going forward that provides good jobs to the hardworking men and women in Milwaukee. If I, if I may, Charles. Miss um, Ivy, uh, going back to your question, who's in charge? The mayor's in charge. And as was indicated uh, by James here, uh, the previous mayor indicated that he had a plan and a vision for uh, the Century City, and we saw that that never developed. Uh, we've got to hold our leaders accountable for uh, improving the lives and a lot of people. I think somewhere I heard or somewhere I read, uh, James, uh, a, a project out of uh, Cleveland where, again, you take <laughs> where you take uh, the, uh, the neighborhood, invest in the neighborhood, have workers from the neighborhood. You can even have a co-op, uh, start businesses started by people in the neighborhood, and let them uh, take ownership of it, take pride in it, and continue to grow and develop it. I think that's one of the ways that we can grow it. We're certainly going to uh, create jobs, we're going to create uh, family-sustaining jobs, and also we're going to create opportunities for uh, home ownership and other uh, uh, things that we can do in that area. As was indicated, when that area was A.O. Smith, uh, most of the workers lived in that neighborhood at the time. Um, that is, is lost now. So again, if we could reimagine what we can do with that, have somebody that's bold and courageous enough, and somebody that's willing to take responsibility and be accountable to the people of the city, we can do something with that project because it's been sitting there vacant for all too long. Can I interject? Go ahead. Your sure. okay. Well, you asked if we had a plan, anyone had a specific plan, and I have the Aisha for the People plan. It's a totality of, of, of services for the, uh, the people in Milwaukee, and I would personally like to use that building uh, to start a living wage for not just city workers, you know, um, and have people employed there and uh, have startups with that situation. So we don't just want to just say what city workers, you know, a living wage for that. But I would like to make a living wage for, for the city as a whole. And also for uh, women on W-2. We have women on W-2 that's making $5.15 an hour. That's slavery. You know, and, and it's supposed to be welfare to work. We can take that building and give them literacy. And my, my men does major economic neighborhood development under supervision, bringing this, this city together about housing and different things like that, long-term employment. We can use that building to start up different things of that nature. All right, we're getting close to the end here, and I thought maybe I'll ask one final question that each of you can all answer here, because I think we've gotten through all the questions uh, from the audience, uh, and even some of the ones that were asked were kind of... I didn't of get a chance to answer on Century City. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Acting Mayor. Jones, and, I'll, go ahead. And, I'll, and I'll be brief. Uh, Alderman Donovan, either. Uh, and I'll yeah. be, try to be brief on it. Uh, Thank I, you. I, Thank sure you. thing, Bob. <laughs> we used to work together. He was pretty cool. Uh, so... I got a vision for, for Century City, most certainly. Uh, we got a president in the White House right now uh, who has talked about transforming our economy. Uh, and he talks about building America back better. In my view, there's no place better to build America back better than right here in Milwaukee. We've got the manufacturing know-how right here. We've got the people, the workforce, right here in the city to do it. So if you're talking about building new wind turbines and solar panels and the like, there's no better place to do it in Milwaukee. There's no better place to do it than Century City. Uh, we do have legacy businesses that are here in Milwaukee, uh, Masterlock, Molson Coors, Harley-Davidson, the like. Uh, all those businesses have supply chains. What are we, why are we not working to bring those supply chains here to locate them at a place like Century City that's accessible to the people in our neighborhoods who, once upon a time, used to have plentiful job opportunities at a place like that? Uh, the sheriff just mentioned a program that uh, I'm very keen on, uh, and 
am actually uh, looking forward to come to fruition here. It's already been worked on right now. It's called the Milwaukee Anchor Collaborative. So you're working with the long-standing long institutions to create job opportunities for the people who live in the most depressed neighborhoods in our city. We can do that at Century City. Another thing that we've been sleeping on for far too long that we need to wake up to in this community are careers in the trades, people who build things. I mean, look at the Couture downtown. It's going to be the tallest building in the state, a million construction hours, new pathways for employment, and the people who live in the most depressed neighborhoods will get to build 400,000 hours of that construction site. So we really need to build a strong black middle class, a strong Latino middle class in this city to get to the root cause underlying issues around public safety in Milwaukee. Sorry. Thank you. Bob Donovan. Yeah. You know, very quickly, I think, to answer the question, uh, why has the Century City stood largely vacant? I believe, quite frankly, a lack of creativity on the part of our previous leaders and uh, public safety. Uh, that I know for a fact has uh, kept businesses from wanting to move into that area. But the creativity thing, and uh, Sheriff Lucas and uh, James has written about this. Sheriff Lucas just mentioned it. Uh, there are programs, this Cleveland Co-op, there are initiatives, there are programs around the country that can be duplicated right here and make this stuff work if the person who's sitting in the mayor's office makes it a priority and directs his or her administration to get it done. Then it gets done. Uh, and uh, also, as mayor, I would want to work with our, uh, exec uh, our uh, CEOs of our major corporations. There are so many ways to cooperate with them and attract businesses from outside the region to Milwaukee, not just coming from a suburb of Milwaukee into Milwaukee. We need businesses from outside the region. Thank you. So let's go to this one final question here, and uh, you don't have to take up all 90 seconds here, but as you look at the last 10 years, the Milwaukee population has dropped 18,000. Madison has grown by 36,000. We've talked about a lot of important issues here with education, crime, public safety, um, and, and there's a lot that this city faces in terms of challenges. But when you look at the growth of this city, it's going downhill. So what is it that you would say could address that part of it, since we've talked about education, we've talked about housing, we've talked about public safety, but is there something missing about that makes Milwaukee this great, attractive place, the city of champions that we are, but maybe is missing that others don't know? Well, since you never called on me first, can I answer that first? Sorry. I think I've called on you first, and I've noticed we called on you a lot, but if you want to go first, go ahead. Yeah, uh, um, equality is missing. You know, um, the discrimination is, is, is uh, blatant in Milwaukee. So you how know, do we change uh, that? How do we change that? Oh, well, that I have a zero tolerance for discrimination in my Aisha for the People plan. You know, um, and, and, and different things in that nature. Let's go back to housing. You all have a, or Wisconsin has a moratorium on um, heat and, and different things of that nature in the wintertime. I think we could correlate that and have a moratorium on evictions. During that time, you can have people doing literacy, 
trying to find out. Lena said that, well, I need to pay my rent. I need to pay my mortgage. You know, we got to find out what's wrong, what's go going on with the people. So my Aisha for the People Plan, my constituent service day, I would like to know what, what are the problems that we need to address the problems. Just like with the, you stated about the uh, reckless driving, nobody wants to talk to the so-called suspect to, to find out what's going on. We got to break that pipeline to prison. So I think that if we talk to the people in, in, in the uh, city of Milwaukee and put the needs of the people first, I think that we can, we can change the landscape mm -hmm. of Milwaukee. You know, and I think that uh, what separates me from other candidates is that, that I, I'm willing to put the needs of the people first, you know, and, and work around that and not just a self-service or, or a private interest. You know, we have water in Milwaukee that has five different human viruses in it. No one's talking about that. You know, we have a foster care system that's deplorable. You know, so it's a lot of different issues and a lot of different spectrums and I have a lot of different ideas and I know we have a, a time constraint. But if we had equality and we eradicate the discrimination, Milwaukee could be a top-tier city, and that's what my, one of my goals, uh, goals is to do. Sheriff Lucas, I'll go with you next. Well, when you look back at the uh, last 10 years of leadership here in the city of Milwaukee, you need to look no further in why we face the challenges that we face here in the city. Milwaukee has an opportunity right now to elect a new leader who has a vision for this entire city, looking out for all people in this community. Um, a mayor who has a vision of how do we keep our young people here, our young people who leave here for higher education and then uh, don't <coughs> return. And then a mayor who has the vision of bringing employers here who invest in our city, who seek uh, um, employees from neighborhoods here in the city of Milwaukee. So it's really not a surprise when you look up, uh, Charles, why we have seen the decline in population here. We've got to have a vision that looks out for all the people, a mayor that stands by the people, a mayor that supports the people and advocates for the people. And that's what the voters here in Milwaukee have the opportunity to do on Tuesday, and I'm asking for their vote. Thank you. Alderwoman Dimitrievich. Well, I want to take a little different route on this. Um, there is one, one very important population that did increase, and I know this because we just went through a very important redistricting process at the city. That's our Latino population. This is a great story of the city of Milwaukee. Uh, our Latino population that I've had the honor to represent is growing at very fast numbers. So why don't we look at some of the things that are working? And, and I think we gotta continue to tell a positive story. I'm not saying don't be honest, and I mean, I think I've kept it pretty real tonight, but also let's make this the most welcoming city ever, where we feel that people have the opportunity and support to build on that American dream. And I've seen it. This is a city of immigrants, built on the backs of immigrants. And I do think it's important to really raise up that hard-working Latino community that has moved our city forward. And I just want to make sure that I tell that story, and that's a great story of population, and we should double down and make sure that we're specifically helping that population continue to grow. Senator Taylor, you traveled to Madison for your job. What looks different there, and why are they growing and we are not? I think several of the things that um, some of the other candidates have said, a city that's welcoming, a city uh, that has a different perception. Um, I think the media plays a role in the perception of what happens uh, in Milwaukee, but I think something that Aisha said is true, that the segregation is real. The status quo protector leadership that we had before allowed us to lose ground. We don't need 2.0 of that. We need someone who is going to be willing, as has been said, to speak up and say something about the real issues that plague us. 
We are losing, we, we're getting white fight and black fight for different reasons. But we have to be honest about we're losing, we, we have brain drain because young professionals that are African American in particular, they leave. People my age who have children are telling them, you ain't got to come back. And so those are real issues. MMAC is doing a plan to be able to do something different by 2025 with people getting jobs. But people have to get jobs that are living wage jobs, jobs that are in the city. That's not what has been happening. And not even in the administration and in the city necessarily. So we've got to do better from our corporations, our city. We have to be honest about where we are. And we have to then encourage us going on different sides of town so that we can feel comfortable and, you know, you can't change it if you don't address it. Bob Donovan. Well, I would say over the last 10 years, what I have seen, uh, sadly, is a neglect of uh, our neighborhoods and uh, uh, an emphasis on our downtown. And certainly, we all want uh, a, a strong downtown, a vibrant downtown. But sadly, we've neglected our neighborhoods. I think you couple that with the uh, serious safety concerns. Uh, you see uh, increasing taxes and fees. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, I believe, and so many individuals, most especially young families that I have spoken with, that uh, perhaps have a uh, starter home in Milwaukee, but the minute their kids uh, become uh, uh, school age, uh, they, they leave. Uh, those are, are uh, the concerns of local government. Uh, I don't think local government has been working effectively in Milwaukee for quite some time. And as mayor, I want to get it working again. I want safer streets and uh, a great educational system. I want the garbage picked up from things from illegal dumping and you name it. So um, those are the reasons why I think there's been a decline. Acting Mayor Johnson, how do we, re re we reverse it? Thank you. Um, in this campaign, I've declared that uh, I will be the proud urbanist mayor. I had the opportunity to live in Madison for four years when I was uh, a student at UW-Madison. And I can tell you, I've watched as I've gone back and forth over the years, the population not just of the city of Madison, but also Dane County to rise uh, while our population continues to dwindle. When I was a kid going to Milwaukee Public Schools, you'd see the green signs, and I went to many schools around the city, the green signs, Milwaukee, 628,000 people, 594,000 people, and now 577,000 people. We really are in a position where what's happened in the city is similar to what you see in small rural communities, where they see this population decline, where, there's, where their young people leave. And I don't want to see that. Same thing has happened with my friends and my family, young, educated people of color, uh, black kids that get an education and then they leave. They go to Dallas, they go to Houston, they go to Atlanta, they go to Washington, D.C. So we need to reverse those trends. Um, in order to reverse those trends, though, we need to make sure that we're building a city that is safe, that is healthy, and that's prosperous for everybody. Everybody needs to have an opportunity. So we need to make sure that we address issues at their root so we can create that environment that's teeming with safety for our families, with growth, for our business, with opportunities for uh, family support and opportunities that is for our citizens, and stability in our neighborhoods. When we do that, then we'll start to see investments happen. Smart public investments will then yield to smart private investments in our neighborhood and help us to grow 
our population. I think we should be a city not of half a million people, but of a million people or more. And I want to build that city. Michael Sampson, I think you get the last word. All right. Uh, I, I was saddened by the Latino population not getting their fair share in the dis redistricting uh, with the census. So I would have liked to see that. them get their three districts, but that didn't happen. But props to that population for the fight that they're doing for our city and keep our population growing. Uh, we need to work on development and culture in this city. Right now, there's a production, uh, Frank Productions is trying to put a new entertainment district in an empty lot down by the Summerfest grounds, and they're getting feed, you know, pushed back from a couple condo owners. We gotta stop that from happening. I, I did a Milwaukee Oktoberfest in Cathedral Square Park, same thing happened to me. The county parks had their biggest day ever. We did 70K in beer at food sales. The next year, we couldn't do it because a couple condo owners complained. If they don't want loud noise, move to Brookfield. Don't live downtown. We need, we need to keep downtown developing, and we need, that's how we're going to keep our talent that's here. That's how we're going to get more talent from outside the city to move here. We need culture and things going on in our city. Otherwise, why live downtown? <laughs> and lastly, we need to develop the north side. My focus is going to be business development on the north side of Milwaukee, because if we lose the north side, we're going to lose downtown and our city. All right, well, that will do it. Uh, let's give a big round of applause for all the candidates. I want to remind everybody, February 15th, that is the primary. That is the day you can vote. You can actually vote now, but that is the last day you'll have a chance to vote. So get out there and vote. It looks like the bar is still open, so you might have a chance to grab a beer.